You see that our group is sponsored by Dell. If you don't have a Dell computer, let me encourage you now to pick one up. How's our PowerPoint doing? There it is. We are talking about sex in the body of Christ. This is going to be kind of tough, but if you hear the prayer of my heart, you're going to see that by the time we're done walking through this series, we'll either be much better for it or I'll be jobless. Hopefully the first. I actually use the words, the body of Christ, for a particular reason. I think many of us would think of this topic as what it's written as. Um, This is a recent report that's been published that I've had to read. So you guys know that all the topics we cover are based on actual data, and I don't just make things up. I read a lot of books. This is a just-published Christians and Sex, Sexual Issues in the Church. The other books that are out there are Sex in the Church, The Church in Christianity, and Sex, and all this stuff. But I wanted it to say Sex in the Body of Christ, because I think we all forget that the Church is the body of Christ. We are infecting the body of Christ. And I think that's going to help us to keep the focus of our topic on what it is that's really going on. All right, so you can go to the next slide for a second. Let's talk about what we're not going to do. I know some of you are uncomfortable. You're not sure what this topic is going to be like, so let me put your mind at ease. It's easier to talk about a topic when you know what you are talking about than what you're not. We are not going to show any cheesy movies made in the 60s with characters named Biff and Skip or any girls in poodle skirts, okay? None of that. If you want to do that and talk about going up, you know, like by the river or whatever it is, you know, they talk about, and you have to check that out on your own. We are not going to be showing any profiles or cross profiles of reproductive anatomy like in the encyclopedia. I always like to, was always thinking, is it facing the right way? <laughs> We are not going to sing any songs with the words sperm or egg in them, okay? And kind of make up little rhymes. Yeah, bird or bee songs we will have. Those are, those are acceptable in the church. We are not going to split up into guys and girls group and, and just answer or ask embarrassing questions. We all know what's on your dirty minds. You don't have to split up to tell us, all right? We know. We're not going to have a sleepover. Where we talk about how far is too far, all right? We're not doing that sleepover. We are not going to go through a ceremony where we put on promise rings and promise to wait for our future spouses. We're not going to do that either. By the way, one of the reasons I'm pulling out all these things and making fun of them is because this is what most sex talks are like. And guess what? They have made no impact, as you'll see in our study. They made no impact. Next slide. We are not going to have a formal ceremony where we declare our celibacy to the whole church. Although if you really wanted to, maybe you could talk me into it. We'll just line up on Sunday morning, you know. Because they've probably never even seen any of you people. So they're like, just, just to show them that there is a group that comes at night, you know, the college group that creeps out in the middle of the night. You will not need to sign a contract, okay? As much as I love being a lawyer, you're not going to sign a contract in this group because, again, studies have shown makes no difference. And we are not going to have a night where we bring our parents so we can hear a talk about masturbation, homosexuality, and anal sex in front of our parents. If there's anything that's inhibited sex education in America, it's probably that last one. I was a seventh grader sitting next to my dad, and I was just hearing this, like, petrified. He turns to me and goes, any questions? I'm like, nope. (laughs) And that was the only sex talk we've ever had. (laughs) Maybe you guys had more open homes. Let's talk about what we are going to do. Here is what we are going to do. We are going to identify the problem first. 
We need to understand the scope of the problem. We need to understand the source of the problem. We're going to be discussing what can be done about the problem. We're going to learn how to deal with the problem and discuss how God wants us to respond to the problem. And it is a problem. So the big question that we're going to start off with tonight is, what is the problem? Anybody want to take a stab at what the problem is? Human desire. Human desire. Is that the problem? It's built into the problem. What else? What's part of the problem? It's men, isn't it? Yes! <laughs> All of the men's problem. It's men. Men are the problem. Eric? Okay. Ignorance about the subject. Curiosity. Anything else? Okay, a lack of education and knowledge. All right. Tonight, we're not going to talk about the ideal yet. We're going to first just talk about the problem. Normally, it's a good idea in a study to start with. Here's the standard. Let's see how far short of it we come. Tonight, we're going to reverse it. I'm going to hold off on talking about the standard because that's always what we start with in the church. What happens a lot of times when we talk about sexuality is we dive immediately into what we should be doing. And I think the problem with that sometimes is it misses what we actually are doing. If you'll forgive me, what we're going to do is talk about first the problem itself and what we are doing so that we don't have any misgivings about what's going on. I also think that's part of our holy calling to shed light on something that's hiding in the darkness. Then we're going to kind of talk about maybe the sources of the problem, and I don't think we'll be done with that, but that's going to be the start. Here's a survey we're going to walk through a little bit just to get some facts out on the table. 32% of girls aged 13 have been manually stimulated. 13. By 18, that jumps to 79%. Now, this is a secular survey, so this counts just people in general. It doesn't count in church, out of church, just everyone. By 22 years of age, that number is 87%. Now, I know we just jokingly said that men are the problem, but (laughs) obviously there's usually a man on the other side of every woman. But we're going to start focusing on what is normally not talked about. Because a lot of times when you hear a sex talk in church is about men this, men that, pornography this, internet that. We'll get there in a minute. But let's start the other side. 25% of girls age 13 had given oral sex. By 18, that number is 66%. And by 22, that number is 87%. The same percentages from 13, 18, and 22 continue for women reporting that they said they've either masturbated a guy, had oral sex, or actually had intercourse. What that tells you statistically is not only are those high shocking numbers, but it means that those 13-year-olds aren't stopping who are talking about just doing something a little bit over the line. Because in equal percentages, they're all doing the same thing across the way. Next slide. 26% of 14-year-old girls were waiting for marriage. 26%. That's not bad. One in four at, at 14 By 18, that number dropped to 15%. We're going to wait. And by 22, it was like 9%. 19% of girls age 18 had already had sex with more than five guys. By 23, roughly half have had sex with five guys. 25% of 21 to 23-year-old women reported having sex with more than one person at a time. Roughly half of the women who participated in the survey Masturbate once a week or more, roughly one quarter of them, three to four times a week. 27% of 13-year-olds have experienced sex with another woman at 13, rising steadily to about 45% by the time a woman is 22. For those who experience sex with another woman, roughly one quarter of them have experienced it through oral sex. You know what's funny is we kind of just go, oh, interesting. 
But it's pretty shocking if you think about it, especially at the younger ages of 13. Let's talk about what's going on in a parallel track on the porn front. As of 2002, porn generated a billion dollars in revenue each year. That's expected to hit about seven billion by 2008. 74% of adult sites post free teasers on their homepage, so you don't have to go past that to find what you're looking for. There has been a 345% increase in child pornography in one year recorded on the internet. That was in 2002. Nine in 10 kids have viewed porn online, mostly as a result of accidentally landing on a porn site while doing homework. At least that's what the survey said. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> but daddy, I was doing my homework and all of a sudden I jumped into this porn site. Uh-huh. Adult industry statistics established. This is their own statistics from within the adult industry. That 20 to 30% of the traffic comes from children. Next slide. According to the Justice Department, in 1998, there were 28,000 pornographic websites. In 2002, there were 280,000 pornographic websites. 30% of all unsolicited emails contain pornographic references. You guys probably already know that. 60% of all website visits are sexual in nature. Every day, 30 million people log on to pornographic sites. At least 200,000 people are estimated to be addicted to porn, X-rated chat rooms, and other online materials. The primary pornographic consumer is a boy between the ages of 12 and 17. 70% of women involved in pornography are survivors of incest or child abuse. The average American adolescent will view nearly 14,000 sexual references per year. Here's a good one. 70% of porn traffic occurs between 9 a.m. and 5 (laughs) p.m. Let's think about that for a moment. Where are people between 9 and 5? Let me read you this quote about the porn revolution. Porn merchants have been the creative pioneers of e-commerce. They were the first to use shopping cart technology, the first to use credit card payments online, the first to figure out how to transmit large graphic files despite narrow bandwidth in the early days of the Internet. Today, they are the primary force behind increased broadband technologies as well as the number one reason cited for the growth of streaming technologies. Short way of saying that, the reason your computers are faster, the reason they stream more, the reason you need a T1 line instead of just DSL, the reason they have like Windows Media 10 with all this compression technology, the reason you need a 200 gigabyte hard drive is so you can store your porn. It's so it can come through the pipeline faster. And pornography has been behind technology for a long time. They were the earliest internet sites, and they keep driving the market because people's hunger is insatiable. So, that's the state of the world. Is it any different in the church? Sadly, the report is no. Here's some of the statistics from the church. Close to 40% of pastors have viewed internet pornography in the last year. Other surveys peg the number as closer to 55%. just depends on which survey you look at. 30% had viewed pornography in the previous 30 days. 25% of regular churchgoers regularly view pornography. I didn't notice that. That's how the pastors are higher than their church people. (laughs) One in six of them are women. Half of Christian men have a problem with porn. 47% of Christians believe pornography is a problem in their home. And this one was the most shocking to me of all. 53% of those regularly attending Promise Keepers visit porn sites every week. Uh, Promise Keepers is an organization where men go to keep like, I think there's like seven promises of how to be a man. Apparently there's an eighth one they haven't been talking about. This is a, that one was a pretty disturbing one. 
The rate of premarital sex in the church is the same as it is outside the church at virtually every age group from 13 to 22. The next highest rate of sex outside of marriage is among divorced singles, then married couples in their 30s and 40s. Believe it or not, the most chaste people are like the older single adults, like in the 25 to 30-some range. 5% of pastors and 14% of regular church attenders have committed adultery. 0% of the pastors have confessed to their congregations. 7% have confessed to church elders. 46% of people looking for sexual counseling. Here are the top things. Pornography addiction, 46% of people are seeking counseling. 41% are seeking it because of sex outside of marriage in single adults. 32% sex outside of marriage for married people, in other words, adultery. 24% are seeking it sex outside of marriage because they're a single teen. 20% are seeking counseling because they're having sex outside of marriage as a divorced person. 15% are seeking it because they're experiencing lesbian behavior or lesbian attraction. Among pastors asked to state what they're having the toughest problems with, 16% report a recurring problem with fantasizing about someone other than their spouse. 38% at least do it once in a while, but don't call it a recurring problem. 17% have a recurring problem with masturbation. 4% have a recurring problem with porn. 31% have viewed it in the last year. Among regular church attenders, same questions were asked. 17% report a recurring problem with fantasizing about somebody outside of their marriage. 46% have done it sometime in the last year. 24% recurring problems with masturbation. 52% sometime during the last year. 5% report a recurring problem with porn. And 37% have viewed it in the last year. I promise we're almost done with these numbers. 67% of pastors and 73% of regular church attenders have fantasized about somebody other than their current spouse. Church attenders who engage in sexual fantasies about someone other than their spouse were seven times more likely to commit adultery. Pastors who flirt with more than one individual are five times more likely to commit adultery with that person or another person with whom they've been flirting. The chances that I will be fired as college pastor after completing this series is 100%. (laughs) Just the fact that I've said pastor like 10 times is enough to get me fired. By the way, the word pastor in all those surveys was defined as somebody who was a full-time staff pastor with some sort of degree or something. Like they were like the lead pastor or an associate pastor or some, you know, not like the... Not like the pastor of the door here or whatever. We have too many pastors here. But, you know, the pastor of seating and the pastor of, you know. So it's a problem endemic in the real pastoral staff of churches. So, any comments about the numbers? The facts on Christianity come from a number of sources. This Christians and Sex study surveyed the church. There were two other surveys done by other groups. One of them, we're going to talk about the group next week. It's triplexchurch.com. We're going to be talking about that. It's an anti-porn. We'll be talking about triplexchurch.com a little bit more, but a lot of this stuff came from them about the porn industry and about porn in the church. Sexual Attitudes came from this report on Christians and Sex that was just published a couple of months ago and a couple other studies that had been done earlier in 99 and 2002. A lot of it is available, like Christianity Today has a number of surveys that they've published too. The... Stuff on secular research is from a much larger study that was focusing on people that were between the ages of 13 and 24 to look in particular at their sexual attitudes. I mean, the fact that we may be Christians is making no dent whatsoever in the statistics. Other comments? 
Anyone want to tell like a personal story? <laughs> Man, you guys have never been so quiet. This is the the least this is the least controversial you guys have ever been. Like nobody's fighting back. No. Right, right. We're just going to write them down. I'm going to pass out a three by five card. Just put your name at the top and just list all of your sexual sins, and we'll read them out loud at the end. You know? Yeah, we'll burn them all in a little trash can. Yes. It's obviously thrown in our face every day. And we can see that just going on the internet, going anywhere to the store, you see a magazine, you know, in the checkout stand, and there's breasts everywhere. It's, just, it's everywhere. You can look and turn. But Did you say breasts in church? <laughs> I am fired. I'm so fired. In church, they don't tell you how to get away from that. They just say, it's a temptation. Don't do it. It's wrong. It's a sin. It's in the Bible. But there's no real answers. We're not preparing people to go out in the world and turn away from it. Okay, here's the challenge. You just heard the challenge that in church, we brush it under the rug, I guess. We never really talk about how we're going to deal with it. We are going to do that as a group. I'm going to pretend you guys are collectively smart enough that we're going to solve this problem by the time we're done. Okay? But we're not there yet. We need to push a little bit further and identify the problem. Now, what you just talked about is actually very poignant. You said that everywhere you go in the supermarket or wherever, all the magazines or everything are pushing something on us. We're going to talk about that right now. We're going to go into a couple examples that I think are around us. Here's example number one. What's the number one rated men's magazine? Road and Track. Road and Track? No, it's not Road and Track. <laughs> Actually, that's true. He nailed it. It's Men's Health. Number one widely subscribed to magazine is Men's Health for a couple reasons. One, they have, they're in like 16 countries and they're all over the world, and they're actually a decent men's magazine. What's the number one magazine among young men? <laughs> Not comic books. Number one subscribed to magazine among most young men? Maxim. This is your magazine. You thought this would never happen in church, where you'd be looking at a Maxim magazine in church. Several months ago, I had a client who was on the cover of Maxim, and it was a deal that we had put together as a contest. So it was the first time that I actually bought this magazine. I mean, I heard that people, like, people bash this magazine as a bad magazine. I, mean, I don't mean bad in terms of just, well, let me put it this way. I've heard of it bad in two ways. Bad because it's nothing but selling sex and bad just because it isn't really a magazine. There's nothing in it that's intelligent. So I actually read the thing and it's almost impossible to read it. You can't read it. It's written in such a way with certain graphics and the way that they write it. I don't think it's meant to be read. You're supposed to be flipping through it. Why? Why is this magazine so popular? Well, you guys are the ones who subscribe to it, supposedly. Anybody, anyone want to admit they subscribe to this magazine in here? Yeah, I actually ran through the whole magazine too. And here's what I found, just to give you an idea of where the source of this is coming from. Because you know what, the statistics on young people buying a subscription to Playboy, not very big. But if you see this magazine, you don't need to. I've had people defend this magazine as just harmless. Does anyone want to take that stance? Does anybody take that? Because I've actually had Christian people tell me that because they're not nude, it's okay. Do you take that stance? Well, let's be fair. Somebody might have that opinion. I've also have some people that say, you go to the beach and see that all the time. So, Okay. I want to take that point on. How many people think that what is being displayed in this magazine is the same thing that you would see at a beach? Worse. It's worse than this? Okay, another comment, Wes? I mean, you go to the beach and you see a protest like that. <laughs> wait, wait. But that's a great point, though, because that's part of the point here. 
is that while you could go to the beach and see somebody dressed like this theoretically, they're probably not going to stop in front of you for 20 minutes and do that, which I think is a, is a good point. Yeah. My point is, like, if you go to the beach, there's motion, there's talking, there's bounce, there's other things that are drawing your attention, you're with people, but this is like, you are at the position where you can stare at it up close, like, you're not going to get that close to someone's body and, like, you know what I mean? Okay, Laura. Yeah, so you're saying that, that this creates an image. There's one feature every month about some girl in her bikini underwear in her bedroom. So you're like, have this like voyeuristic view of like what she has in her bedroom. If you guys don't think this magazine is single-handedly trying to turn guys into sex machines. Here is a great article in this month's Maximum about how to score with girls in church. It says, find your faith. Macking in a holy place is easier than almost anywhere else. The good girls never see it coming. Plus, every girl wants to tell her father that she met her boyfriend at church and not at a bar, says a so-called God-fearing person who's 25 named Aaron. Look for progressive sanctuaries. Okay, there you go. That's the thing, right? Progressive. (laughs) That's a great word. That offer contemporary services to attract younger, hipper girls. And coffee hours so you can actually talk as opposed to just oogling her from afar. That's number one, just in case you wanted to know. Number two, enter the kingdom, it says. Scope out the finest churchgoer, then snag the pew in front of her. You won't appear too eager, yet you can make eye contact easily. And shake her hand if there is a sharing of the peace. Avoid making moves mid-service. You're in a place of bloody worship, it says. You have to be respectful. This comes from Tracy Cox, who's the author of Super Date. Instead, listen to the sermon, which will give you plenty to talk about later. And this is just ridiculous. Number three, get religion. Despite the communion wine, forget the sloppy bar tactic. After the service, introduce yourself and act genuinely curious about the church. Say, I'm new here. Are you a regular? This will transition into coffee hour where you can quiz her about the service and how she ended up there. If all else fails, say something about looking for a higher meaning in life. She may make it her goal to convert you. Here's how you reach the promised land, number four. At this point, patience is key. A lot of repressed religious girls are damned hot in bed. But you're not getting a quick shag here, provided she's sending positive signals, laughing, smiling, making the sign of the cross. Simply tell her you'd love to meet up outside of church and ask for her number. And no matter where it goes from there, there's always next Sunday. So I don't think I need to make my point anymore, but here is the real point. It's not that I'm trying to say this one magazine is the source of all the problems. This is just one magazine. Now, it probably goes the furthest. And of course, for a series like this, I was very lucky to have picked up this one edition that had this great, just happens to be talking about like, how to get girls in church. I mean, when I read this, I was just, I can't believe that somebody's actually writing this. Look at the statistics. Christian girls are doing it too, and they're falling. Is there a difference, though, between saying in a cold, hard, statistical way that Christian women in the church are having the same problems with sex as as women outside, as opposed to, (laughs) here's how to go get one? I mean, to me, there seems to be like a shift there into more of a... Like, this is okay for you to do. In fact, we're getting you these steps on how to do it. I think people come to church because they hope to meet somebody who they want to spend their life with that probably meets their criteria. Hey, there might be people who come to church because they're looking for the hot church girl, right? Yeah, they come sit right here and they raise their hands real high. You think they don't do that? 
Yes, people come to church to meet people. Yes, people genuinely want to meet people. There's nothing wrong with that. Where else are you going to find people who are Christians in this world? We need to find people who are Christian so that we're equally yoked. But at the same time, like, where do you find those people? So I don't think that that's a bad motive to say, I would love to meet somebody in church. It's not even a bad motive to go to like, I'm going to go to a church where the chances of me meeting somebody are higher than the church I go to where there's only like three other people, you know. But this is a little bit different. Yeah, the other talk is finding a girlfriend, somebody that you want to have a commitment with. And this is just, just for sex. Well, look, this magazine is famous for telling you how you can hook up, how to score in a bar, how to score at a baseball game, how to score. I mean, I'm sure that this like series or whatever it is isn't just limited to this one time to church is just they're thinking hey there's a fertile ground you know but i'm sure they can think of how to score in a library i mean it's the same thing but that's really the point that i'm trying to make is there's somebody pushing the agenda there's somebody saying to young men like hey you know what you can do this and here's how and you should be doing it and maybe that really is the bigger point i think it is we'll come back to it in a maybe a week or two but put that in your mind just as a seed right now that maybe the point is not just everything that's pushing us in society, but also the fact that for some reason we seem to think it's okay for us to violate that line, but nobody else. Just a thought. Uh, Just so that we don't bash on men's magazines alone, here's some other famous uh, detractors on the women's side. You guys know that if you ever need to learn anything about sex, you might as well just read one edition of Cosmo cover to cover. That should cover it. Every single week is some sort of article after article. You can see some of the other magazines, but here's some of the uh, Cosmo favorites, just in case you're interested. In uh, a couple of editions, here are some of the titles. His Sex Cravings, How to Get in Sync in the Sack, Reasons You Don't Have an Orgasm, Are You a Sex Goddess? 15 Ways to Know for Sure, Want to Be Unforgettable in Bed? Here's a Masturbation Memoir, 12 Secrets to Sensational Solo Sex, your hands-on guide to solo sex. It's like in every issue. Masturbation 201. This is the advanced class, apparently. Because they do have a Masturbation 101. I guess you have a graduate degree after you finish the first one. Yeah. yeah that could be a huge problem for a very limited sheet and not having more That could be a really helpful article. If you're married, I think that there's a lot better ways to find that information. Like if you go to a Christian bookstore... Or even just any bookstore. It doesn't have to be a Christian bookstore. You just go to a bookstore. You can go down to like the family, marital, whatever. I don't know what section that is. But they're going to have a hundred books on how to improve your sex life. Some of them written by people who know what they're talking about. And some of them written by people who don't. You can go to a Christian bookstore, by the way. And when I was looking for this report, the bookstore didn't have it. But I did buy a couple other books, which I'll recommend to you guys next week. There's a whole section. You get to the marital sex section, and it just goes on, like all these different books. Some just for guys, some just for women, some for both, some are like, I mean, there's plenty of information. So I don't think this is unhelpful information for someone who's in a marriage or even preparing for the marriage. But I think that it all comes back to one thing. It's not the subject, it's how it's presented. Like you could say, hey, you know, meeting girls in church is a good idea. It's like, everybody knows that. It's how it's presented. The kind of disrespect that it's presented with and the kind of presumption that hooking up is all that there is in any relationship. It's, it's assuming or presuming this is all about how you can get on a one-night stand with somebody and get them into the sack. I think the same is true about any of these subjects. 
which is we know the reason they're splashed across the page. I mean, look at the cosmos. Sex tricks is what it says. We know the reason it's splashed across the page. I don't think it's because they're trying to help married women everywhere. It may be. But I think more, they're trying to sell the magazine. And two, if you read the manner in which it's presented, you know, there's, there's nothing in there, by the way, that says, you know, this is good advice for married people and not good advice. In fact, one of the things that's so objectionable about a magazine like Cosmo, for the most part, is its target audience is the unmarried woman. The number one women's magazine is not Cosmo. It's something like, it's not good housekeeping, but it's like, I can't remember. No, there, there's, it's, it's some, it's, it's like, I, I, I wish I could remember the name of the magazine, but it's not one of these. But when you change the target segment to the, the segment that's going for like young professional women or people who are like pre-college, if you add Cosmo Girl in there, to like the 35-year-old who's still looking around, that's the number one magazine. So again, it's, it's the manner of presentation. And I'm not saying you guys are wrong. Take me on. You know, there are some helpful things that people need to learn. And I think repression, if that's where we're going, is a bad thing. Okay, I'm not advocating that, but at the same time, like it seems like, as we were just talking about, somebody has an agenda to liberalize the whole place to a norm or a moral that the church isn't bought off on, but it's leaked in anyway. You don't want a whole bunch of books on your shelf that are like, you know, problems with orgasm. And like, it's embarrassing too to go in the bookstore maybe. It's embarrassing for people that have problems. And then to go purchase it. Well, there, everyone accepts Cosmo. Everyone just goes, oh, Cosmo. So. Because I'm reading it for the articles, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're Okay, so you're saying it's more accessible to people. Well, okay, look, first of all, you guys know that in this day and age, you can probably find out any information online. That's number one. You can probably buy any book online through Amazon. But I'm not going to discount what you said, because when I went to the Christian bookstore and I bought one book on, like, why young women should wait, one book on why young men should wait, and one of them on, like, sexual chastity, and I walk up to the guy at the front (laughs) counter, (laughs) I felt like he was looking at me going, pervert, you know? (laughs) Because we stigmatize sex in the church a little bit, all right, don't we? That's one of the reasons, look, hear my heart on this. I'm trying to walk a tension between being too open, which is going to make some people uncomfortable, and then also being so open at the same time that we're almost glorifying the subjects that we're talking about. Repression is not good. I think it's because of the way we practice what Jesus told us to do is somewhat not good. We don't practice it correctly. Okay? I know why Jesus told us to wait. I've experienced it personally. I look back now at my life and all the mistakes that I made, and I can look back and I go, you know, I know for sure that my heart is scarred because of my past experiences. And those scars don't go away when you get married and everything is suddenly blissful. They're still there. And you're incapable of doing certain things or feeling certain feelings because you have the scarred past. So I can look at someone like Jesus and say, like, now I know why you told me that I needed to wait and not to give my heart away to so many people. Or let's, let's say it for what it is, to give my body away to so many people. Because I got it back messed up. And now I'm trying to give it to my wife and I can't do it the way that I would do it with all innocence in that just pure, innocent stage I wish I could. And I don't want to turn this into a talk about purity because we're going to end there at the end once we've done all the identifying of the problem. But I think the way we practice it in the church tends to stigmatize people too. We heap guilt and judgment on this topic. So that's why the balance is so sensitive. 
it is correct that we need to be pure and we need to wait. It's also correct that if we just heap the judgment and the fear on it and everything and the guilt, what's happening is people are doing it anyways. And yes, repression or just not having correct information is a problem. Most of the books about sex in marriage are really about unwinding the problems you've brought into the marriage from your own baggage and learning how to now be free to do the things that you feel guilty for having done before or that you would feel guilty for having done. So it's almost like that conundrum is there and people write it. That's why there's so many books. Look, the information there may be fantastic. I just don't think it's presented in a way that's encouraging people's better health spiritually and emotionally. All it's focusing is on, here's how to get yourself off physically. And while that's good for someone to know how to get themselves off physically, in a vacuum by itself, that's not good. I mean, you need the whole thing with it. The spiritual, the emotional, all that stuff has to go with it for it to be a whole thing. Monique? It's not having an impact, and there's still, like, you know, 70% or whatever by the time they're 18 that are having sex, and then you have the leftover, like, few percent that really are waiting, and then they're left with, like, this oppression, and they get married, and it's just really sad that something that God wanted to be so special is so shameful act, even, like... Well, whatever the church is doing, whatever they're doing, we can all agree is not working. I don't know that we're smart enough as a group to reinvent what will work. I've seen some great ideas come out of this group and the debates that we have, although you guys are less debating tonight for some reason. But my goal is by the end of the series, maybe we'll have solved it for us. And then maybe then we can share that with the rest of the church. I mean, I think provocative things can happen in a group this dynamic if we actually open up this dialogue a little bit, you know. All right, let's take a look at just some last factors that I think also affect where we are, just so that we put them all on the table. Obviously, I didn't bring an example of every one of these because we'd be here all night. Music videos, I don't know. I mean, music videos might as well be a strip club these days. I mean, there isn't a single female pop star that can make a song without, like, writhing on the floor these days, okay? And I don't know what they oil themselves up with in these videos, but... I remember when they were all about heavy metal and long hair and guys in drag and fire in the background and them all standing around like this, you know, like, and we thought, and we thought that was bad, you know, because they had a girl in the video somewhere doing a story or something, you know, like we thought that Alicia Silverstone video where she's running away was a bad video. And now they're like stripping. You can't sell the album unless you do that. Television. I mean, you know, what we don't throw out desperate housewives, whatever it is. I don't know. Throw something out. People object to sexuality, and yet, like on TV, it's right there. It's right in front of you. We all know about movies, although I, I, I will submit to you that I think there's actually more sex in TV than there is in movies. By the way, I don't know if you've identified, but what fuels our desire for reality TV? It's voyeurism. We want to look in and see people in weird situations and see what happens. That's what it's all about. All right, song lyrics. I'm not going to preach against rock and roll. <laughs> not having one of those talks. But, I mean, think about it. Song lyrics say a lot, especially when young kids are singing them, you know, and they're just like, do you realize what you're singing? This is, this is mostly for females, but, like, the fiction novels. I don't know, man. I see a lot of escapism in fiction novels. Advertisements. You guys know that the media spends so much money to get you to buy whatever it is, and most of it is through sexual cues. 
we could talk about each of these forever. We could talk about the pop culture, what it's doing to us. We could talk about it. I, you know what? We do that enough already. I don't have to convince you that these are factors. You know they're factors. What we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is dealing with what are we going to do about the factors rather than just glorify the factors themselves. But here's some things to keep in mind about why we're talking about it. There was a guy that was in our accountability group a while back who struggled with a certain fetish and struggled with it for like a long time and wouldn't tell anybody about it, none of the other guys in the group. And it was getting to the point where it was really consuming him and starting to really start to hurt his marriage because he couldn't really talk about it with anybody. He couldn't talk about it with his wife. He was feeling a lot of guilt and shame. And of course, the church makes you feel that way, right? That's what we're talking about. Like, you know, it's not like on any given Sunday in a church, the pastor's like, okay, all those who have fetishes, come on up to the front. Let's pray for you. (laughs) And he felt really alone. And just one day, he finally just decided he had nothing else to do but just to tell us about it. Now, I'm not going to say this will work every single time, but I will tell you that after he talked about it and opened up and confessed it and we all kind of prayed about it, it just kind of went away. It just kind of disappeared. It doesn't mean that he's no longer attracted to people like that, but you know what? Just shining the light of truth on it was enough to show it for what it was. It was something that it was sin. He needed to confess it, get over it, move on. And he did. This affects every one of us. You guys also know the story I've told you about a pastor friend of mine who went on a three-day solitude and fasting retreat and spent all that time trying to focus on where God is and where God, what God wanted him to do and solitude, fasting, solitude, fasting. And on the way back from his trip outside to do all this stuff, he checked into a motel and watched porn for two days. In that moment of weakness, that's just what he just, you know what? He didn't, I don't know if he intended to do it. He just came to me and said, I got to tell you what happened. This is really bad. You know, right after my big, long solitude retreat, I'm thinking, bummer. But he felt like he had to confess it, not just to God, but to somebody else so that people could hear and say, you know what? Yeah, let's pray about it. Let's cast that light and shine it directly on what's going on here. We're going to do that in this series. It's going to be uncomfortable a little bit, but it's something that I feel like we have to do. Because that's what's not happening, and I don't know what else we can try. We've tried everything else. We've tried just reading out of the Bible and just reading the verses. We've tried, like, telling people some of the statistics and saying, don't do it. You know, we tried having sermons on Sunday morning, and in the end, what we really didn't do was stop and go, all right, what's the real problem? Let's talk about it. What's, what's the source of temptation for you guys? Where's the thing that's coming in? Like, what grips you the most? What has a hold on you? Now, you don't have to raise your hand and go, you know, but hopefully we'll hit it. If you want to, by the way, you can. You can stand up and go, hey, this is the thing that drives me like the most nuts and I'm having a trouble with. It's not so we can glorify it. It's not so we can hold it up and say, wow, we did such a great talk on sex and all these cool images and all this stuff and all this research. No, it's so that I hope in a few weeks we can come up with an answer that's going to actually work for some of us. Because it didn't work for me. I sat in those pews. I made the same mistakes, went through all of it. It didn't work. When we surveyed you guys and asked you guys what you want to talk about, believe it or not, that series on heaven wasn't at the top of the list, okay? Almost every single person wrote on their survey, I want to have this talk. And reluctantly, we're going to have it. This is all by way of intro. Next week, we are going to dive into a little bit deeper of the subject a little bit more. We're going to identify more of these factors and how they actually affect us. We're going to be looking at down that list that we had at the beginning about what we are doing looking at how we need to be responding. Yes, we will get into scripture about it. All right, let's pray. 
Jesus, you created us to be sexual beings with a desire for one another and a desire for intimacy. And then you modeled for us how a person could go through their whole life and be pure, Lord, in the circumstances they were in. You experienced that, Lord, as a man. And I marvel at that. Lord, with all the temptations that we face and all the things that are in front of us, it's amazing that we have even a chance in this world. But you promise us that you will never allow temptation greater than what we can handle. I just think, Lord, that we have gotten lazy about what we can handle. I think, Lord, we have become lazy and undisciplined and maybe even celebrating the kind of forward advances that have been made in this world and forgetting that some of them don't please you. Lord, if we turn on the television or we watch a movie or we listen to music or we just engage in the culture that's around us, it's saturated with sex, Lord. And while you called us to be in the world, you told us to be careful not to become of the world. And it's so easy, Lord, in a sex-saturated world to just succumb to it. Lord, I thank you for those that are here that think this is not a problem. I thank you for those that are here that are strong enough and don't even face the temptation. But Lord, those numbers tell us that at least three-quarters of us are fighting that battle every day. Three-quarters of us have failed at that battle at some point. We're trying to make sense out of what we've done and what we're going to do. And Lord, I know of no other way to do it than to be honest before you in this series, to lay in front of you, in a spirit of confession, all the sin that we have, to call it for what it is and not hide from it, to expose it to the light, Lord, so that hopefully you can turn it into something good. And I pray that that be the outcome of this series, Lord, that your Holy Spirit give us that power so that we can be victorious with you. Lord, in the end, I pray that there be nobody here under any kind of spirit of guilt. You've given us a spirit of victory. You've given us a spirit that is going to take us to the next world because we know you, Lord. Our next life awaits and all our failings in this life will all be forgotten. Thank you, Lord, that you take our sin as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. But Lord, leave us no excuse to continue to sin intentionally. Let us fight with all our might. In your precious name, amen.